0: But the crying. with the world poised on Nobody the brink of war vault is reporting a record number crying, but me. folks uh, it seems
1: we have got some breaking news standby all over
0: no i'm dry. forget about how much I care
1: for you we seem to have lost contact with our affiliate stations, stand by we do, we do have we do have coming in confirmed reports of nuclear detonations. my god our soldiers will right war. War never changes. This is Control Structure, episode 88, for June 5th, 2015. Big week to everyone listening. This show has notes, visit them. Uh, At thenexus.tv slash cs88 to see them And with me is co-host Andrew Bailey Hi, I'm a person
0: And I'm Stephen Orvis. Hi, person Hi, other person How are you doing? I'm doing good How are you? Uh, Well, since this is the food show I guess we're obligated to talk about food We've just been to a Greek food festival Yes,
1: what did you have there, person?
0: Uh, Well, I had a gyro which, I, as I understand, people call it other things, like, you know, euro or something. But is that I, money? Well, I believe it is a form of currency somewhere. Uh, but, you know, I say gyroscope, so it makes sense to call it a gyro. Uh, let's see, I also had some of the, uh, like, the rice and the meat sauce there. Um... Let's see. I think I had the some the pudding thing too. The pudding, I had the uh Greek side salad there, which apparently you didn't like the olives, which they have pits in them, which I understand. That that was that was a new one for me having an olive with a pit in it, and I don't like olives
1: normally ever period. But I tried one just to 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 try it because it's good to try new things, and I tried it and it tasted like an olive.
0: <laughs> so well, good for you. <laughs> So, uh yeah, what did
1: you have? I had something, which I forget the name of, but it was a grape leaf with, uh, like, rice and meat or whatnot inside of it. It was actually pretty good. I kind of liked the flavor of the grape leaf. I guess I left the menu in the car. Ah, uh, so we don't know the actual name of what it was. And then I had something called, it was like a Greek hamburger. Or a lamb burger? No, no, it wasn't the lamb. It was, oh, yeah. It was... Because it was, the uh, lamb burgers were outside. Yes, and I was... I thought that maybe it come with a bun and everything. Turns out it's just like just the burger, just the patty. <laughs> and so yeah, just the patter, patty, patty. So I was a little bit disappointed in that, but uh, yeah, I, I like the I like the grape leaf things. I thought those are pretty good.
0: So um, hey, uh, it has been a rather large, eventful week, as we will get into uh, further on in the show. But uh, let's start with what's on everybody's mind. Uh, The next edition of America's number one post-apocalyptic nuclear simulator has been announced, Fallout 4. And uh, I believe uh, of half of this podcast, uh, I am quite excited for this. Um, Like, I was actually on the website at, like, 10 a.m. when, like, the countdown ended just to, like, see, you know, this. It seems to be one of the worst kept secrets uh, because it was like maybe a few weeks ago, that uh, like someone's LinkedIn profile leaked that they worked on the Fallout 4 trailer.
1: Oh, so then that implied that there was a Fallout 4 since someone had worked on the Fallout 4 trailer?
0: Yes. Um, but I believe that uh, Kotaku, about two years ago, somehow got leaked documents that like Fallout 4 would be set in the Boston area, which really appears to be that way. Um, Like, apparently, they strapped rockets on the side of the USS Constitution and are flying it around as an airship. I, I saw that in the trailer. It looked uh, kind of interesting. And, and the the weirdest thing was, like, when it was flying around there, it had the statue of Paul Revere. I, I
1: did see the statue. It looked unmarred and unhurt by any of the nuclear wars
0: that had happened, which was interesting. Which, it seems like most of the buildings were, like, still standing okay, unless they had, like, been patched up or something. But, uh, like, I actually looked up that statue on Wikipedia, and sure enough, it is in Boston. So that's, that's like, the only element I took away from it that I knew was in Boston.
1: Oh, so that's how you figured it out, that it was supposed in yeah. Boston.
0: and sure enough it looks exactly the same. Like, even, like, the base of the statue, too. Okay. So, definitely going for for that, then. Uh, Do you think the leaks were on purpose, or just accidental? Um, I'm not sure. I haven't really thought much about that. Uh, What I do know is that there have been some hoaxes around Fallout 4 in the meantime. What do you mean? Like, someone, like, actually registered some domain, and, like, got, like, a whole lot of people, like, uh, paying attention to it, that is like, oh, it's going to be announced like such and such date, and it turned out to be like a total fake. I see, because any any guy off the street can
1: register a domain name and throw up a nice looking website, yeah, and say something totally
0: raw, uh, untrue. So, but uh, yep, I'll. This is probably the second like big name game I'm looking forward to. Uh, the other one being the uh, last campaign of StarCraft Two. Um, but, uh, yeah, I bet you your, uh, batteries won't last that long. Well, they might if you had a, what's it called? Battery
1: something. Batterizer. Batterizer, yes. It's the little bitty device that, uh, this guy has figured out that electronically can boost the voltage in a battery, Uh, back up to 1.5 volts. So we're talking like a double A, triple A, something like that. A C and D type. Yep. And anything like that, that is the core voltage that devices depend on being 1.5. So he's saying that typically, uh, most electronic devices, like say a keyboard or something like that, is going to run out of power at around 80%. And so what do you do? You throw the batteries away. Actually, you still have a lot more life left in them. And with this device, it'll boost the power up to 1.5 so you can continue to use the battery and get more of the power out of it. And I was kind of skeptical about it, but I th- I think it's sounding like it makes sense uh, from that perspective. But I think there is a catch. It's not, still not a magic bullet. For example, flashlights. Uh, you can run a flashlight pretty much until it's all the way dead. And I don't think this is going to help much in a flashlight other than it would just keep it brighter for a less amount or- of total runtime, but the runtime of it being bright, I think would be
0: greater with this, so it looks like this uh specific device has been shrunk enough so that you can actually like slide it in on the battery itself and still like put it in something, yes. It, there was one thing to mention in the article
1: the technology actually wasn't anything new. It was just a miniaturized, miniaturization of the technology and obviously the concept of wrapping it around a battery that kind of makes it unique.
0: So, uh, let's go on here. Uh, cult of Mac discovered that Facebook is, has literally no customer service after it was locked out of its own Facebook page. So the relevant part of the article here says, In the last 18 hours or so, I discovered that Facebook is an impenetrable castle. The company built a trendy new open plan office in Menlo Park, but it's constructed a giant moat around it, cutting off any contact, and I mean any contact at all, from its users and customers. I spent all hours Monday night trying to figure out how to Regain Control of the Cult of Max Facebook page. But Facebook just send me in nightmarish loops. If you have a problem, Facebook directs, it, directs you to its help pages, which are comically Kafkaesque. The pages ask you a series of questions that lead nowhere. The only concrete help is getting you to change your password, but after that, you get looped around to the beginning again. The problem of you being locked out of the page is not addressed. And once I discovered that, I could go no further and I tried calling the company, company Switchboard, but it directed me to the online help pages and then hung up on me. My fury was burning like a thousand young stars, but I was utterly powerless to do anything. So, so that I know what it is.
1: What is the, uh, Kolfkiss or whatever it was that you said back up there? Hmm? W- what is, what is the kol- fest What is that?
0: It's essentially a loop around that you get into, like a lot of frustration. In uh-huh. uh, let let's see what uh, like the official meaning is here, of or relating to or suggestive of Franz Kafka and his writings, especially having a nightmarishly complex, bizarre, or illogical quality. Aha! Uh-huh. I see. New word of the day. So it's it's one of those kind of you know very specific words that you come across. That may not be useful
1: in too many cases, but is a fun word to know about in case you ever need to use it. And when you do, it's so good. Yes. Okay, so now that I know what that means, uh, so Facebook isn't that great to uh, work with.
0: Yeah, and uh, it seemed like uh, our deals partner Stack Social was also hacked. The The breaches are obviously related, but we don't know how. Um, it, and I think later on it says, uh, that they actually had their password. Oh, the people that hacked it had their... No, the people who got hacked had the password of Cult of Max page for some reason. Oh, okay. And so that's how they think maybe they got in? Yeah. So, and then they changed the password once the attackers got it so they couldn't get back in. So, but it seems like everything got, uh, uh, got fixed right up in that, uh... Like, they called, like, some newspaper editor in Chicago who knew of someone who actually worked at Facebook. And, like, after, like, contacting them, it got, like, all solved in five minutes. Whereas they were, like, banging their head against the wall for, like, more than a day.
1: It seems like the trouble is they, they weren't being put in touch with real people. They were just uh being given the runaround. Mm-hmm. You know, like when they call. He said he called them up, and it's just like, "Oh, hey, look at the help pages online. That solves all of your problems." Be anyways. Um, there's one other thing I noticed in there. What was it? The redirect loops
0: locked out. Silence. <laughs> anyways, I don't. I forget what it was. So, and to keep this incessant talking about Mac-related stuff going, there's a new Nexus.tv podcast that has Mac slash general Apple programmers on it. The official label reads, PodKit is a show about Apple-inclined web developers discussing interesting technology and development-related topics. So it sounds sort of like a competitor to us if we actually covered Mac stuff more. Or at least Apple related stuff. More. Well, I
1: mean you could still go for the competitor twist. If we cover Windows and Linux stuff, then we can be the competitor. It's, it's complimentary. The Mac one. Complimentary. But,
0: but yeah. uh they already have two shows up, uh, and just from just, you know, casual listening to them, they don't really go over news articles that much like we do. And it seems to feature low density conversations. So. Low
1: density So. Oh. <laughs> You saying they actually don't go that in depth technical
0: uh yeah, okay. like they like they talk about you know like their experiences with like say, I believe the uh, episode two they were talking about the apple watch Apple watch okay, and apparently one of them one of both of them have one, so one of both of them you mean all of them mm, one of both one, of maybe them. two of them
1: oh, one or two of them, okay. So yeah, anyways, so it doesn't sound like that much of a competitor, then we can keep doing the articles and talking
0: about the general what's happening in the computing world. And uh, thankfully, none of us have the verbal tick of saying any which way, any which way where? just any which way instead of saying any way.
1: Raspberry? Raspberry! 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 So, uh, there is now a e-ink e- screen you can put on your Raspberry Pi. And uh, it's called pa- pi- pa- Papyrus. 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 Uh, so, kind of what's special about this is it's not just an e-ink screen. It also has uh, some switches at the top. And it integrates with uh, one of your... GPIO pins that uh, allows you to turn the pi on and off and it has a battery-backed real-time clock exactly the clock and i'm thinking i didn't actually kind of say in there but i'm thinking with that pin that they say that they can wake the pi up with that somehow they're thinking that they can integrate the clock with the the pi in some way to wake it up at certain intervals Uh, another interesting thing i saw is this it has like Sixteen megabytes, I think. No, 32, uh, thirty-two. Thirty-two megabytes of flash memory on it. Kind of weird that it has thirty-two megabytes. Uh, maybe megabits. F- that is. This is megabits. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's megabits. That's true. Anyway, it's kind of weird. I'm not sure. If, maybe that's just for holding the image or something. It's kind of interesting yeah. to put that on. Anyways, it looked kind of neat because. Uh, Someone built something for Pi and they, it wasn't just, oh, it's a screen, instead of like, oh, let's put some switches on it and uh, have this clock on it. So it seems like it could kind of be a useful thing, not just because it's a screen, but uh, uh, it has the switches. Plus, the e ink is kind of a neat concept if
0: you're building some sort of a status panel or something on yeah. Pi. So interesting. Indeed. And now for a bit of interesting local news, well, to us Easterners anyway. Uh, you know how Google is doing self-driving cars?
1: Yes, have you seen the, uh, I believe Ready Run video on the
0: Google Drive? Yes. Yes. Yes, the other Google Drive. Oh, the other Google Drive. Uh, apparently Uber wants one of those self-driving cars too. Uh, in fact, Uber is in hot water over hiring slash poaching 40 robotics engineers From the CMU NREC, that's the Carnegie Mellon University National Robotics Engineering Center. Uh, And for those of you not from around here, that's one of the major colleges in downtown Pittsburgh for yins not from here. Uh, When CMU heard about this, they said that they would rather partner with Uber than to have those researchers be hired by Uber. Uh, But, you know, as the saying goes, money talks. And when you're able to go from a researcher making maybe fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year to being an engineer who makes say a hundred and twenty or so thousand dollars a year, you're gonna be an engineer. <laughs> it was
1: interesting uh, in the article I had mentioned that over by the Compsci buildings on uh, through CMU, there was this big sign up from Uber, and it said hiring the best software developers or something like that so they were quite obviously going after uh, their people another interesting thing that they uh, had mentioned that they were one guy had commented how he was proud that even though they were stealing people from them they were proud that they uber had chosen them to steal people from
0: well and that they're at least staying
1: in town this is true that they're sticking around town this says that there's one of the Uber cars had been spotted uh, in the streets of Pittsburgh with sensors and stuff on it, and a logo, but with uh, a real person inside. Yes, with a real person. At least that's what was reported.
0: So, and uh, another thing about this is that uh, you know, NREC, uh you know, that's you know, robotics, and apparently there's a whole lot of military robotics research going on at the NREC. Uh So, in like some ways, this is actually like more beneficial to society, I guess. And that, you know, like the work that they're doing at Uber would be like directly applicable to the general public than, say, a military robot. So instead of building robots to shoot people, we build robots to drive people around. Yeah. It's a more uh, pacifistic, uh, I, if that's a word, uh, solution. <laughs> so thing that i found was interesting is it wasn't actually that many
1: people overall so it's just saying like they hired 40 and like i think the the center had had like 100 or so people overall set in it uh and it was i, I guess i understand because they're very highly specialized people for the robotics but it was interesting that it was a big deal with just a, a relatively smart small number of people but what it means for uber is they basically got a whole software engineer team that was highly specialized
0: and like presumably knew each other oh this is
1: true because if you just hire off the street you get acquainted and like work out who does what and which but when you kind of hire uh for also the same company i, I guess i could
0: see that so uh moving on here a little bit uh you know how github supports ssh public keys it can generate one for you or you can add your own uh, someone did an audit of all of these keys because they're apparently posted publicly uh, and found some really short, weak keys, and even the ones caused by the Debian bug a few years ago. He alerted GitHub about it, and they disabled those keys and alerted the affected users. So, like, they he found some, like, really pathetic keys, uh, like even down to 256-bit public keys, which, like, can be cracked within hours and days. Um, like, and you also found some 512-bit uh, ones, too. Uh, but, you know, like, again, you know, you need to, you know, I guess if you could enter your own, like, you've probably had these keys for a while if they're that short. It doesn't likely.
1: I, I found the side, side story about the 512-bit keys about, uh says that the Texas Instrument calculator had the firmware uh, was restricted from updating uh, because you needed the private key to update it well i guess they were able to reverse engineer and get the private key and so like guess it yes guess it and so hackers were then able to update the firmware so that was an interesting side story Mm -hmm. because i like hacking
0: the idea of hacking things like that so uh that's that's for five twelve 12-bit keys uh he this guy said i tried to make a five a 256-bit key and factor it, and the process took less than 25 minutes uh, from having the public SSH key to the factoring primes. Uh, see, the risk isn't only real if someone had gathered together the top line of mathematicians or a supercomputer worth of power. The 256-bit key I factored was factored on an i5-2400. So the the directive location is of this
1: is so GitHub has your public key And if I can calculate or if if private key, now I can push to your repository
0: or change branches around or do what you can do to the repository. You are impersonating someone else because you have essentially guessed their password. Yeah,
1: it is because that's that's what it gives you when you can do set up SSH like that with uh, Linux computers and just pop right into the the terminal and SSHN without having to type in your password because you have the, the key uh, agreement there for authentication.
0: So on a scale from 0 to 1.0f, how awesome would it be if Windows came with SSH support, at least in the form of PowerShell? 1.0f uh, just because it doesn't have it. So, uh, But don't hold your breath though, because this is the third time that they've tried doing this, but it seems that they've made a compelling business case for it. I don't
1: understand why it would be a, a difficult thing for them to do, because it's like, I don't know, a kind of a standard protocol to connect to other computers on the internet.
0: Yeah. Um, but I think, like, the reason that they, uh, like, they were able to get a business case for it is that you can uh, put uh, Linux images on Azure, which is, like, their cloud computing uh, service. Okay. Like it comes with, you know, like several images of like whatever operating system you want, like including Ubuntu and probably Red Hat, maybe Debian, you know, distributions that kind of come with SSH. Uh, So if you want to manage your, you know, Linux instance in Azure remotely, it kind of helps to have an SSH client. Uh, So up until now, like you had to essentially use PuTTY. But if it was integrated into your uh, Windows system, that would be pretty great because, like, a lot of companies, like, restrict, you know, what kind of software you can run on corporate machines.
1: Oh, this is true. I never thought about that aspect of it, of being uh, a native installed feature versus not. Yeah, It is It is handy when I'm in Linux. Like, if I'm going to work with a website or something that has an SSH access, you do it in Linux. It's just so much easier. You can pop open the terminal with the keyboard shortcut and uh, just start typing away and
0: not mess around with Putty. So it'll be a quite interesting and useful addition. Uh, so uh, going on here, in the ever-forward ever, ever forward open sourcing at Microsoft, the Windows Communication Foundation, at least the client, is now open source. Uh, so you had a few things to say about this, I think?
1: I Yeah, it was kind of an interesting interesting thing. I think it's going to uh, probably open up a lot as far as communication-wise. WCF can be really easy to write uh, services and such. So yeah, interesting. Since, yeah, since it's
0: essentially the layer over top of uh, SOAP, yep. know, that's the XML stuff. Yeah, it, it is pretty
1: nice to make stuff. I mean,
0: there's the
1: configuration can be really painful when you get into the, the app config files and how to set them up, but the power of it is you can configure all kinds of different bindings without changing your code. So it's kind of neat. Anyways, uh, one thing I did notice was odd was certain features are not there. And we were talking about a pre-show and thought that maybe they just had reviewed that code and uh, decided it was public safe yet or something.
0: Yeah, because uh, like I probably imagine that Microsoft probably had a contract with some other company to like include their code so they could have this feature in WCF. But that that uh, agreement did not allow for open sourcing the code. So they're like probably going through reviewing it and or writing code to replace that. So, you know, but that's just my suspicions. And another good good trend from
1: Microsoft, make things open source and let people read them, modify them. And it is really handy having an open source the other day I was doing something at work and uh, it was with the file writer. You can pass the file writer in an innumerable of uh, strings and it will just like do stuff with them and write it to the file for you. Like one line each per string. Um, so like uh, you have like your file dot write lines and so it used to be like an array argument was all you could pass it. I forget the right. version they added. You could pass it in in an enumerable of strings instead. Probably two, because that's when they went crazy with generics. Probably. Uh, Anyways, there was some question we had had about how it works performance-wise, and if we wanted to do something uh, when we were giving it the enumerable and... uh, I was able to go browse the code and, you know, I we have ReSharper at work. We just recently got it. So it'll download the source code for you automatically. So you just do a, your F12, you go to definition, and it pops you right into the source code and you jump through and you can kind of read down and, and see how they implemented it. And so it was, it's kind of neat being able to do that. It gives me as a developer a lot of power to know exactly how the uh, implementing code works because then I can understand it and know how to consume it.
0: So yeah, like all this open sourcing that Microsoft's doing, it's not the Microsoft that we hate and despise. I'm scared. So uh see so remember Let's Encrypt? It's the uh free certificate authority that uh I think like the EFF and or Mozilla are backing. Uh they uh, recently generated the keys and certificates. Uh, and they are almost in almost ready to start issuing certificates for people. Uh, they made a blog post explaining how they set it up and how it all works. So like how certificate authorities work is that, you know, like they have this master root, uh, uh, private and public key pair and the public key is put into a root certificate and that's what's sent out in all your browsers, all your operating systems and whatnot, so that private key is used to sign intermediate certificates, uh, which are like, uh, like another layer of public private keys. So like if the, like the major one gets compromised, like there's another layer there so they don't have to reissue a root certificate. So, and those intermediate certificates are what gets signed to like, you know, google.com or yourwebsite.com or wherever. Uh, so, you know, because this is a new certificate authority, they're uh, piggybacking off of an existing recognized root, and uh, that, that one is signing the intermediate certificates also, so it's a backup. So if you don't have the, uh, the Let's Encrypt root certificate, you'll probably have this other one, so it'll still work. That's always good to have a backup. So, and, like, they also explain how, uh, like, they're managing, like, the private key and, like, how they're keeping that safe. Safe. So, it's an interesting read. So, an engineer at Etsy has released a report about all the SSDs he's using in a data center. It's a cautionary tale that's not all unicorns I IOPS. Uh, or, it's an interesting story uh, slash cautionary retail about a few brands. Uh, It turns out that running SSDs uh, on a RAID controller is a recipe for disaster. Of course, in my opinion, uh, running SSDs on a RAID uh, sort of defeats the point of having SSDs uh, because you're essentially running a RAID to increase performance or uh, storage capacity of SSDs. Uh, But, you know, But that's kind of the whole point of having like a single SSD in that, you know, you can replace an entire, you know, array uh, with a single, you know, SSD.
1: On the other hand, though, if you're doing the, I forget the raid number, if you're doing the one where it's writing half to one drive and half to the other drive. I think that's zero. Okay. So isn't that still going to make everything overall faster if you're writing to both drives at the
0: same time? Yes, but the other issue about running SSDs in RAID is that you can't run the trim command, uh, which is uh, you know due to the fact that, uh, like with the, uh, call the wear leveling algorithms on the disk, it's kind of helpful to tell the disk that a block has... You know, the data within a block has been deleted so that it can overwrite and not have to worry about swapping the data around. So so the trim command is telling it that it can uh, write there? Yeah, that it can overwrite this data. It's not needed. Don't worry about it. And so the SSDs don't have that concept of marking a area off? When they are being run and RAID.
1: Oh okay what why is that is it like a technical limitation or just I a-
0: think so or it might just be because uh like most raid controllers on the market are don't have the do not have the ability to pass the trim command down to the uh, component drives so it's more like a maybe a
1: software issue that might get resolved over time perhaps um so it, it did mention there in the article about the buggy firmware and like one example was uh Yeah. Forget the the brand but one of the brands that is said you know, sometimes you power them off and uh it wasn't capable to turn back on and that put me in memory of that stress test we had talked about a few podcasts ago. Yeah. And some of them like they'd brick after you uh they they'd uh die and then you p- cycle the
0: power on them and bye bye SSD. Mm-hmm So, and, uh, like, there's also, uh, like, a story about how they uh, communicated back and forth between Samsung and, I think, Dell uh, with, like, uh, with this RAID controller and they had to install custom firmware uh, and all of this. So, you know, like, granted, you know, SSDs are faster, but there's, you know, certain reliability patents you need to watch out for. So, yeah cautionary tale there uh pinterest uh let's go on to another uh social networking type of thing here pinterest and demandware have announced an e-commerce integration partnership whereby people can buy things directly from pinterest and you ask why is this relevant well because i work with demandware at work it's kind of like the only platform i work with pretty much exclusively so you know i sub you know, this is, you know, pretty much good news for me, I'd say. Means that uh, you're likely to have increased
1: job... Your company's in- likely to have increased job opportunities of companies they're doing?
0: Yes. And, uh, you know, due to, like, increasing workloads, uh, we may be hiring two extra people. Another graphic designer, another programmer, so... Uh, let's see. And, uh, from this article here, it says, Cole Hahn, Ethan Allen, Gardner Supply Company, Joanne Stores, Kate Spade, and Michaels, will be among the first Demandware clients to enable buyable pins on Pinterest. So, like, I'm not exactly, uh, familiar with Pinterest, but, you know, it's, you know... I I see it come up a lot, like, if I search for recipes online, it'll pop up
1: very often, and, uh... So it seems good at capturing search engines from that perspective. Mm -hmm. So that definitely does look like a good opportunity for companies to get
0: out there and uh, let you buy stuff. So uh, let's talk about the NSA for a little bit. We haven't had a podcast. Hi, Uh, NSA. Hi, NSA. Uh, The USA Freedom Act has passed. Uh, This places some restrictions and changes uh, about how some intelligence gathering is done. But more should be done. So, as of midnight on June first, the uh, like some sections of the Patriot Act expired, and among them was the uh, Section Two Fifteen that allowed the government to uh, have data records of a terrorist uh, investigation, which uh, w- which is what the NSA was using to get the metadata of every phone call being uh, placed. So uh, that expired, uh, but, you know, the USA Freedom Act uh, was supposed to, you know, like do quite a bit more, like have an advocate at the uh, Foreign Intelligence Court that would advocate on behalf of the public and supposedly, you know, defend privacy rights. Um, apparently this version does did not have that, uh, but all indications are is that, you know, uh, Obama will sign this bill to become law. Uh, But, you know, other things still need to be done. You know, like the NSA is still collecting data, uh, but uh, it seems like, at least for the telephone data, that it's the responsibility of the individual telephone companies to store it instead of uh, the NSA storing it themselves. Um, So, yeah, it's, you know, things still need to be done, but this is definitely a step in the right direction. And uh, Edward Snowden agrees, and uh, he has written an opt for the uh, New York Times in celebration, and he is saying that the world is saying no to mass surveillance. Uh, so he still hold up in Russia, which is really unfortunate. But uh, you know, he he is thrilled that his uh, you know how should I say his actions are being acted upon; they are being noticed uh, because like his greatest fear was like he would you know give these to journalists, they would release them, and nothing would happen. But Plenty of things are happening, you know. Yeah, he's
1: definitely made a big public stir. And uh, as is said in the article,
0: they arrest him if he comes back. <laughs> yep. Uh, you know, the balance of power is beginning to shift. Uh, he says that we are witnessing the emergence of a post-terror generation, one that rejects a worldview defined by a singular tragedy. For the first time since the September 11th attacks, We see the outline of a politics that turns away from reaction and fear in favor of resilience and reason. With each court victory, every change in the law, we demonstrate that facts are more convincing than fear. As a society, we rediscover that the value of a right is not in what it hides, but in what it protects. Let's go ahead and deprecate SourceForge because the GIMP already has. Uh, you know that's the uh, that's the Adobe Photoshop uh, substitute. Uh, so SourceForge has a program wherein they will embed bloatware quote offers unquote into installers to get more ad revenue. They hijacked the GIMP's SourceForge account slash page uh, last week, and they did this to the Windows installers hosted there. Uh, an avalanche of anger followed. It turns out that SourceForge has been taking over other inactive accounts there and applying this to their installers. Contrary to their promise, uh, made, like, November 2013, I think, uh, that they would not do so without the maintainer's consent. Uh, SourceForge eventually relented on the GIMP, uh, but that didn't stop them from taking over Nmap's account either. Uh... I believe one of the uh, GIMP's uh, maintainers wrote, SourceForge are abusing the trust that we and our users had put into their service in the past. We don't believe that this is a fixable situation. Even if uh, they promise to adhere to a set of guidelines defined, these promises are likely to become worthless with any upcoming management change at, source, at SourceForge. Sounds like uh, GitHub
1: Well. Definitely become the main host now. SourceForge was kind of on the way out, it seemed to me. Like they used to be really big, but uh, they don't really have that great of a UI in the website, and uh, I don't know if they support Git natively or not, but GitHub's just uh, so easy to commit code to and do things with.
0: So, uh, let's see, uh, SourceForge released a statement in an effort to address a number of concerns that we have been hearing from the media and the community at large. We at SourceForge would like to note that we have stopped presenting third-party offers for unmaintained SourceForge projects. So, you know, it's that's good, but it's kind of bad that you actually did this in the first place. Yeah, I agree. It, it was kind of, uh, kind of a sneaky thing. So we uh, have some podcast feedback from Ryan. Uh, Ryan says that IoT is such a terrible name. Well, in in continuing this uh, chain of discussion, uh, I posted an anti IoT comment on Hacker News on a popular story about United flights being rounded. I believe like the exact comment was something like uh, like some guy was on an airplane and they had to like reboot everything, like even the uh, the in flight entertainment system, and uh, the splash screen hit him with a huge amount of nostalgia. It was Redboot with a kernel build date from 2004. Uh, Let's see, then the response that I put uh, seemed to be a popular sentiment because over a day or so it got 65 upvotes and generated quite a long and insightful discussion, uh, to which I posted, this is the Achilles heel of the entire Internet of Things and smart appliance trend, and I think that this will bite everyone bad. After 50-plus percent of these vendors go out of business in the next decade, their products won't get updated, and people will wonder why their, quote, smart, unquote, TV can't watch movies from whatever replaced Netflix slash new whiz video service. They won't be as likely to buy any smart thing again. So this apparently resonated quite well. And uh, let's see, like one, like pretty much the a direct reply says, I have yet to see anything that makes me look forward to the IoT. And when I talk to the voices of the vendors in my head, I'm basically telling them, quote, stay out of my refrigerator, my furnace, my toilet, and my smart door lock that I'll never have. I just don't feel that anything relevant to the IoT is missing from my life at all. See, I think one of the,
1: the like, this is more so like uh, manufacturers putting stuff into things in this proprietary but this is a huge trend if you're thinking Raspberry Pis and chip. It's more open source. It's more open. It's not like exactly. you must do it this way. Instead, it's people can you know, can go play with it. So maybe some manufacturer releases a uh, refrigerator that's integrated with this open hardware, and maybe they don't even ship it with any software, and they just like, say, hey, it's got this in it, and you can download these really cool programs from the website that people have written. And maybe you could have a refrigerator that uh, flashes blue LEDs at you when you walk by or something or says your name and it's up to you to make it do what you want it to do.
0: And another reply, I can see check if I left the stove on and turn it off remotely being a neat thing to have, but not neat enough to let a 10 year old appliance with no software updates and the capability to burn down my house that is accessible <laughs> to the internet. um let's see and then uh further down uh some guy posts that he uh replaced some of the light switches in his house uh about 2002 and he said that it worked okay for a while but the setup was not robust and eventually some controllers would not let some device would not work some devices at some times the annoyance factor in going from zero errors to 1% error rate is huge. Uh, five years went by and I have been slowly replacing all these devices with hardwired switches uh, or Insteon. Uh, of course, the original 1959 wiring paths still work fine. Uh, so he, uh, you know, he he realizes that, you know, the older, simpler switch is a vastly more reliable technology than, you know, like a newer one, you know, simply because, you know, a light switch always works. This is true. You know, like, and if it doesn't, it's pretty serious. But, you know, with, you know, granted with, you know, computers and automation and stuff, you can do, it has more capability, not as reliable. I think maybe
1: that's kind of bringing up a good point that through the automation of things, it needs to be a way to override, there needs to be a way to make it do what you want it to do, uh, not just uh, always assume, that. oh yes, we'd want it to be automatic when you walk into the room, of course, we just uh, turn it on when your cell phone is nearby, instead that uh, you might not have your cell phone because it might be lost in the room someplace or whatever.
0: So... And uh, sort of echoing uh, Ian Buck's uh, sentiment about smart TVs, uh, another guy writes, I bought an LG smart TV a while ago. It stopped receiving firmware updates after a few years and is now way behind current models in terms of features, and I can only imagine security patches. I will go out of my way to buy a dumb TV next time. I uh, to that, Mine updated itself to add a big banner advertisement up to hmm. the main screen. It originally had no ads. Um, so yeah, there's that too. Uh, going back to Ryan's feedback, uh, I love apt-get. It's the best part of Debian slash Ubuntu. I've tried Sigwin a few times and the optional packages to install is huge and overwhelming too. I usually end up installing a VM instead because it keeps my system clean, but offers me all the things I wanted anyway. Yep, that's me. I named my cat Rust. Uh, uh, Ryan uh, also goes on about the error messages. I did, in fact, have a huge problem in writing an error message. Andrew, uh, that's me, by the way, uh, pinged me and told me that he could not access the TNTV titler tool, uh, which, put, which produces all those nice links on the uh, show notes page. Um, and I didn't know why it was broken until I tracked all the way through the program for the 500 error it was returning. The problem was that my API key expired after a year. Perfect time, huh? Uh, when I was writing my compiler, I often used error codes to help me figure out where a certain error was generated in the compiler, but I always returned a useful error string message too. I did a lot of planning for, my, uh, for error handling in my software engineering project, but it didn't matter anyway because they gave us all the code for the database, where 90% of the errors could stem from. Ryan is amazed. Western Digital makes routers? Who knew? I really want one of those open source slash better than stock firmwares for my router. It'd be great. Your IP range is so cool. Uh, To which I respond, WD used to make routers. Or had someone else make them and then rebrand them. Uh, They got caught up in the TV set-top box fad a few years ago. Uh, since pretty much all those are is a hard drive and a DSP, uh, and they thought that specialized networking, specialized networking equipment would help with that a little bit. Then they realized that I don't watch TV, and they should stick to hard drives and sell them to other people who will lose money on them. And uh, I also bought another WD router for my mom after she decided that having a landline didn't make any sense. Hi, Mom! Uh, Ryan resumes. Uh, so Stephen is in the studio with you, or did you show him some other way? I might have missed something here. Well, Stephen has been coming in person to the Nexus.TV East studios for the past few episodes. Probably ever since the one where Pennsylvania slash Ohio slash Michigan Chris was on. Do we sound different? Well, do we? I don't know. <laughs> uh... Uh, Ryan asks does the linux thing uh on the uh does linux thing it's the router or something if it ends in .0 that's amusing Uh well no linux thinks that .0 means the broadcast address and will not send anything to it as opposed to a uh, as opposed to thinking that it's a real network device like windows does Uh, Ryan says that my local home server is set to 192.168.something. I'm sure I could force this to not suck. Uh, Well, uh, the 10-slash-8 block is really easy and spacious. Uh, You could be really exotic and use the 172.16-slash-12 block. Consult your local DHCP server for more information. Uh, and Ryan says, "Hey, look! I listened to a show and wrote feedback for it. And thank you, Ryan, for listening. Uh, so, if you would like to uh, submit feedback, you can do so on the show notes page, and we can read them. So, and don't forget that uh, today is International Backup Awareness Day. So, back up your stuff. Um, so, just as a side note, you know how SSDs, you know, can just suddenly go poof." When you turn them on? Uh, Well, uh, Becca, back at church, uh, apparently her Ultrabook did that recently. So, looks like she'll have to send that back. Um, Let's see. And as for me, uh, coming up, it doesn't look like uh, anything much is happening. Uh, Hopefully, I will be able to drop off my old router at an e-waste recycling uh, come next Saturday. Um, How about you? Well. Drive back home here tonight. Hope that
1: too much of the closed traffic in Pittsburgh isn't closed. There's a, a lot of stuff was closed last night when I came came through some uh, detours. Um. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully that should clear up around December. December. <laughs> okay, that's a while. So we got the, the another couple rows of corn planted here. Uh, the since the last podcast, uh, forget what day it was exactly. Uh, so we had. Uh, did have some early corn in, so we planted uh, about three, four more rows of silver queen, silver queen, and Iowa chief corn. So now later in this season, hopefully we have some corn. The early corn's up a couple inches now, so cool. Yeah,
0: it's coming along good. So well, that seems to be out it. That seems to be about it. So have a good one. And war, war never changes. Let's go, pal.